Welcome everybody to episode 44 of the Diamond Duo podcast and welcome officially to postseason baseball. I'm Tony Puglisi joined as always by my co-host and co-producer Tom Bauer here to break down the latest that was in the past week of baseball and what will be in the upcoming week of baseball. This episode is brought to you by one idiot who thought the Cardinals were going to beat the Dodgers and the Astros and one idiot who apparently still doesn't know how a microphone works. So, <laughs> so Tom, we both uh, we both knew that I was gonna have to lead with this because if y'all don't know, y'all who have listened to the show for a while, or rather haven't listened to the show for a while, Tom has been gassing up the St. Louis Cardinals for the entire season, saying that they were gonna win the World Series for Pujols and Yachty in their final season, which you know. I admire, I love Pujols and Yachty, and low-key, I love that Cardinals team, they got some great players on there, but what we both failed to account for was every single one of their hitters dying in the wildcard round and getting trounced by a Phillies team that had no right being there. We're gonna go more into this later, we're not gonna deep dive this yet, but Tom, the prophecy is dead. How do you feel? I have crippling depression, to quote <laughs> that one meme from iDubbbz. <laughs> There's a blooper uh, for you. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be a good drop. We're already off to a great start, as if we weren't already off to a great start already when Tony mentioned his microphone incident. Um, we're going to get to that in a minute as to why Tony's the idiot here. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I am uh, not happy. I am 0 for 2 this week because the Cardinals lost. The prophecy, I guess it didn't extend into October, or the Cardinals just didn't get the memo that the prophecy was still alive. But, uh, yeah, that's honestly depressing. I don't know what's more depressing, though. It's either that, or what also happened to me this week that I have my hmm. discrepancies with. Hmm. Uh, Tony takes a lot of pride in it. I can see the stupid hmm. smirk on his face that I wish I had, because if the season had hmm. ended three days earlier... I would be having that same shitty smirky smirk. Uh, excuses, excuses, excuses. Why don't you tell them what you're talking about, Tom? You are beating around this bush, my friend. So, if the season had ended on a Sunday and not gone to the final day, aka Game 162s, I would have won in fantasy and would have uh, taken a victory lap around Tony right now. But, because it extended... My offense went dead cold, 3-for-33 on the final day, and the Baltimore Orioles had a doubleheader on the final day, thus, I don't know why, apparently Jordan Lyles was supposed to start, I pick him up on the waiver wire, he could have gotten at least three strikeouts to tie it, but that didn't happen either, so I ended up losing by one category, it was a 6-4 final, and I unfortunately bear having to say that I lost to Tony, albeit I probably should have won but that's a uh, thing that both of us didn't know about until like the final hours of the season so it is what it is i'll humbly accept well not humbly accept i'm gonna bitch and moan about whatever punishment comes my way but uh <laughs> i will i will take it like a champ let's put it that way hmm you see i'm just happy to hear you say those words that your team lost tony's team in the playoffs and i say that because regular season your team just barely edged mine out one week, and then utterly f***ing kicked their asses another week. Mm -hmm. So, this is revenge. <laughs> this is my guys basically limping to the finish line, because, like, truth, lie, and honesty, my team didn't even do that hot either, 
like, I had Arenado and Goldschmidt on my team, which, uh, <laughs> yeah, they had a season-long, or excuse me, season-ending slump plague their uh, run there, and they carried that into the postseason, which, eh, yeah, let, more salt in the wound for the prophecy let, that we'll talk let, about later. Let's not talk about that. I would rather avoid that subject <laughs> altogether. That's very touchy. Very touchy. We're going to have to rip that Band-Aid right off when we get to the postseason segment, buddy, so we'll just save it for then. Now, I'm very happy with my fantasy team. They could have done better. They, they should have done better, frankly. But at the same time, I we, we squeaked out a third place finish. That that means I break even. I get to keep my $20. Tom gets to do a little extra punishment. And I say extra punishment because, remember, <laughs> since we both officially got bounced in the same round, i.e. the semifinals, we both deemed our fantasy teams equally sh- and you know, shitty in quotes. We finished three and four. I, like I mean, to think listen, that's not we, we listen. We can call it shitty. We both got trampled in the semifinals, so that was a very <laughs> shitty loss. To be fair, <laughs> that's true. Tom's opponent put up like sixty something ribbies, and my guy had like a sub one ERA after like fifty plus innings. So neither of us really had a shot. Which, to be fair, congrats to both the one and two finishers in that league. Two of my close friends, Steve and Joe. Y'all played damn good all season and. Steve, especially, that was his first year doing fantasy, uh, fantasy baseball at least. And Still dude can't believe that. came out the gate swinging. I really couldn't either. At the same time, buddy, welcome to the Beginner's Luck Club. And I'll call it that because I did that this time last year. I mean, hell, that's where my love for Matt Olson first spawned, my like seventh round pick. I'm hoping that love turned into a burning hatred of burning Kate because he absolutely steamrolled you in that, uh, <laughs> final round which was hilarious to watch unfold hey hey i will never hate matt olson although he did hurt my feelings quite a bit it, it's it's just a good thing that none of your other team hurt my feelings hmm. so yeah i'll take that you know what Let, let's stop talking about my losses and talk about our <laughs> lost audio because uh, tony as mentioned in the intro had a oopsie at the beginning of this episode that thankfully oh, we caught very very early on uh because apparently your microphone just stopped working at some point, as we were literally wrapping up our, I would like to say, very long and prolonged intro that we had uh, in our previous recording. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about that loss, Tony, because now <laughs> we're have, we're just full of great tech gaffes on like season two, technically, of the Diamond Duo podcast or year two. You can look at it because we had the computers breaking down damn near the start of year two. We had my oopsie two weeks ago, and now we almost lost more audio this week <laughs> oh my god it did it again no i'm kidding yeah f- you that's not funny i would have walked out and i would have gone to sleep <laughs> i just wanted to see your eyes get bigger like i had discord pulled up i wasn't even looking at audition we are still going but no to explain what happened it's the same thing that happened the other week when if you've used adobe audition you know that uh if you change your audio devices, be it input or output, it'll show a little pop-up and it'll stop your recording. Like, hey, looks like your settings have changed. Do you want to open them? Which, I'm going to be honest, I think that's really stupid. Like, bare minimum that it stops your recording because it's now f***ed us over twice. Like, thankfully, this time it was in the intro. An intro that Tom said, frankly, was running too long. So, definitely a bit of a blessing in disguise. Still, I don't even know why it happened. The last time I knew why it happened. I was an idiot and wanted to reset my microphone by unplugging it, plugging it back in, forgetting that this stupid pop-up appears. This time it just happened. 
I didn't unplug my mic. I didn't screw with my with the beats I have in my ears. Nothing like that. I think Audition just wanted us to record a little bit later than we normally do. Hey, speaking of, quick disclaimer, speaking of the time and when we're recording this, we're recording this on Sunday, October 9th at about 10.30 p.m. It was going to be about 10 p.m., but no, my microphone had to be an asshole about it. And plus, we, <laughs> the one thing that I miss about that old intro is that we did catch the end of the Met game live because, trust me, folks, we will clown on the Mets in a short while. 10.30 on the 9th, that's all you need to know. Anything after this and before it gets posted will not be discussed for an obvious reason. Second disclaimer, go follow us on social media at Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter, the Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram for more show updates, including our newest series, Quick Hits. It'll probably have been posted by the time this episode goes up, so we hope you liked it. We hope you gave it a good read, gave it a like, gave it a share, give it all your attention, and just some show updates for when the tech inevitably screws up again. I don't trust my microphone at all anymore. I'm going to be... Tom, I hope you know, in the past, like, how long have we been recording for? About 14 minutes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've just subtly been scrolling over the audition tab to make sure I'm still rolling. Like, eight times by now. I'm way too paranoid about this, but honestly, I'd rather be paranoid than aloof, and then an hour in, go, what? My microphone? <laughs> See, this is why I have two recordings going on right now. One in Audition, one in Audacity. More or less, that was not for a microphone gaff. That was for my stupid other mistake. So, yeah, you might need to get on the two-recording game. Or the double-recording game. That's probably a better way of putting it. So that way, uh, hopefully we don't have to lose intros again. But honestly, again, I think that was for the best because I was running very long. Speaking of intros, let's skedaddle out of this one and let's move into what happened before the playoffs uh, began because, of course, there was an ending to a regular season. And with that comes great responsibility and great stories. The responsibility part, not so much. I don't know. I was just trying to play off of the phrase, with great power comes great responsibility. Like you would see in many, like, superhero movies. In many superhero movies? That's from one superhero movie. Okay, well, listen, I've heard it used multiple times, so listen, don't don't, don't come <laughs> at me there. Uh, we can talk about who was a hero, though, and that was Aaron Judge. Because not only did he hit home yes. run number 62, he may have also caused the breaking of some idiot's legs. But more on that <laughs> in a few minutes. <laughs> I'm sorry, the way you make it sound like, the way you phrase that sentence made it seem like Aaron Judge went to the clubhouse and beat a man with his bat, breaking his legs. <laughs> okay, so that sounded really bad. But, uh. It's I, the I, breaking of his legs. Is he like a mobster? <laughs> Listen, Mr. Mobster, you sent me a picture of you in a. And like tucks in a red tie. I thought you were going to take somebody out. That is not going to go in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to go in the episode. No, please keep it in. This is great. <laughs> so I'm referencing a, to a photo Tony took. And because I was stereotyping him being Italian, I'm like, oh, you're a mobster going to take out a rival mobster with a uh, photo that he sent me uh, earlier in the week. Uh, so it's uh, the reference there. <laughs> Uh, hey, it was a very slick suit, and I do think I looked very... Why can't I think of an adjective? Shit. How tired on, am I? Think of an Italian word that means, like, slick, like, smooth. An like Italian word? That, I don't that's speak what it Italian. Was. Huh? I don't speak Italian. 
You're Italian. You should at least know a few words. You know, like, molto bene. You know, like, Okay, uh, Bauer. N say, say a sentence in German. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's pretty much a sentence in German, right? Uh, beer you don't even me. know the word. You don't even know the word in German, do you? Uh, no. <laughs> even I know that. Come on. Uh, can you say it for podcast reasons? Feigen. Feigen. Wait, can we? Wait, do we have to censor wait, that now? Do, I was about be, to say, should we censor that? That's gonna be a moral that? dilemma. That's gonna be a moral do, dilemma. Do we have German <laughs> listeners? <laughs> People of Germany, do you listen to our baseball podcast? Please respond by listening to our baseball podcast. <laughs> oh God. How, how did we get here? I, I I have no idea. We were talking about Aaron Judge. I made some stupid reference about how he like tried to break somebody's legs and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, we got to the mafia thing. That's right. Okay. Yeah, and then we got into the mafia thing. Wow, this episode is really like off the rails. That's what happens when uh, it's ten forty three in the PMs, uh, folks. Uh, oh yeah. Also, Garrett Cole uh, set the Yankees single season all time uh, strikeout record for a season. So, whoa. That's all I can say about that. I'm not really excited about that because I didn't feel like he had that good of a season to necessarily deserve it. Obviously, he struck out 250 some odd batters and deserves that. But I mean, eh, I don't know. I think I'm just looking at the whole year of Cole giving up too many home runs to uh, spoil that mood. But whatever, we'll uh, maybe talk about Cole in the later portion of this episode. But yeah, Aaron Judge, 62. We briefly mentioned it in the editing process of last episode because it literally happened the day we were recording the episode, and I made sure to sneak in that call of Aaron Judge's home run because, of course, the monumentous nature of it. Tony, I think I've been hyping this uh, subject up for way too long. I'm going to let you speak about Aaron Judge's home run before I go off on another tangent. See, what if I don't want to speak about Aaron Judge's home run? What if I want to talk about Garrett Cole instead? I mean, you could do that if you really <laughs> want to. I highly doubt that. But uh, you can do that if you really want to cheat. I mean, trust me, I've, I'll have plenty to say about Garrett Cole in the postseason segment coming up for a very specific reason, but we'll get to that. Either way, Aaron Judge, I mean, Tom, this feels like, you know, the moment we've been building to in this season of the podcast, just because it seems like every chance we've gotten to talk about Aaron Judge, to put him in a Teams of the Month, to update you on where he is on the home run chase like this seems like the top of the mountain this is you know he finally did it he put a cap on one of the best hitting seasons in recent memory leads the league in obp slugging ribbies homers runs scored ops ops plus total bases the guy's got 11 fangraphs war on the season which by the way has not happened since Barry Bonds. Like, I feel 100% confident in saying that Aaron Judge just put up the best hitting season since 2004 Barry Bonds. You know, before it was a mix of, oh, it could be 2015 Bryce, it could be 2000, you know, 2018 Mookie, it could be 2019 Trout, maybe even one of Mickey's seasons where he won MVP. Yet, yeah, no, Judge blows all of them out of the water with this season. This season was incredible to watch. And seeing him hit number 62 just put a cap on everything. Talking about the home run itself, hit in the first inning of the penultimate game of the regular season. He hit it at Globe Life Park at Arlington, which something something funny I like to mention about that. Tom, I sent a tweet in the group chat earlier. I was uh, just about to cut you <laughs> off and reference that, but go on. You beat me to it. <laughs> so, Globe Life Park. It's only been open, what, a handful of years now? And it's already seen 
a World Series victory, a no-hitter, and the breaking of the all-time American League home run single season record, and the Rangers have not been involved in any of it. <laughs> At least in a positive way, because they were on the receiving end of that no-hitter. Granted, that was the first no-hitter in Padres history when Musgrove threw it back, you know, last year, but we will talk about Joe Musgrove later. Let me tell you what, I just wanted to use that moment to clown on the Rangers, because we don't do that enough on this show. The Rangers are... Show. Either way, Aaron Judge absolutely clobbered a hanging slider. Do you have the name of the pitcher who was up? For, for the life of me, I couldn't find it. I was about to acknowledge that. Like, everybody was saying, oh, it won't become a trivia answer. I don't even remember the pitcher who gave up the home run. I could probably name five <laughs> pitchers who were and didn't want to throw to Aaron Judge, but I can't the remember entire Blue the Jay staff. name. Also, because the guy isn't really well known per se. But still, I don't even know the guy's name. Honestly, I don't even want to acknowledge it because of what every pitcher in the American League was saying about that. So you know what? We're going to give that guy some slack. Like, his name will be in the history books, whatever his name is. But ultimately, if I don't even remember the name, then what's the point of it even bringing it up? I mean, definitely a nice, I don't know, salt in the wound to the other pitchers in the AL who were... You know, guys like Kevin Gossman, you know, oh, we don't want to pitch to judge because we don't want to be on the receiving end of history. First of all, you boys are on the receiving end of some history up there in Toronto. We're gonna get to that. I can't wait to talk. I said we were gonna clown on the Mets. That's only gonna be, you know, the amuse-bouge to that Blue Jays Mariner series. I've never been so happy to be wrong about a prediction in my life, but we'll get to that. Aaron Judge. Just fantastic work, man. This is, again, all-time hitting season, capped off with the most home runs ever hit in the American League, and if Cashman doesn't re-sign him, I'm going to throw myself out a window. Tom, <laughs> take it away, because I feel like, obviously, give your two cents on it, but I feel like of the two of us, you're more qualified to talk about this gentleman in particular who may or may not have had his legs broken by Aaron Judge. So, yeah, everything Tony echoed about, like, the historic season, I would echo back. Ditto. Great stuff from Judge. Great showing. He actually showed a bit of frustration earlier in the day, like, when he hadn't hit that home run. He kind of slammed his bat in the dugout, kind of a show of frustration. Then he got the perfect pitch, sent it into the stands, and he was so jubilant. And the weight was finally taking off his shoulders. And the Mayor's family can finally go. Because they had been following him for probably <laughs> close to two weeks at that rate, just to see 61 and 62. So 62 was caught by a gentleman who's like the VP of a branch of his company, whatever. The guy took the ball, got it authenticated. He doesn't even know what he's going to do with the ball yet. That ball is at least worth $2 million. And we know that because somebody offered him $2 million for the ball right on the spot. And he just kind of walked away with it. But more funny enough, I want to acknowledge a fan that thought it was a good idea to dive into the bullpen. Uh, I don't know how far that fall was, but dude literally jumped out of his seat, over the railing, into the bullpen, <laughs> as you can clearly see in the video, when the ball was nowhere near him. It was like at least 20 feet to the left, hoping that the ball would fall into the bullpen so that way he can retrieve the ball. Now, I understand the logic here. $2 million can fix a broken leg, broken legs, and other injuries that you might sustain in that fall very much. It will not get you back into an MLB stadium at any point in the near future, because I'm sure that guy's probably going to be banned or suspended or got a very stern lecturing about trespassing. Also, even if he got the ball, 
wouldn't security just make him give it up or something for trespassing and going into the bullpen to begin with? Even if it did fall, that's a, the strategy I'm getting behind. That was fine enough. If the ball fell into the bullpen, he would have been the guy to get it. But that would have ended so badly for the guy. Like, I don't even know if they would have let him keep the ball. Like, security, he would have gotten tackled by police. Maybe somebody in the bullpen if they were feeling, like, Texan enough to tackle the guy. I don't know. It was just a funny scene that unraveled. I, I kind of want to know if that uh, person is A-okay or if they actually did sustain some injuries. We don't know the identity of the person. Uh, we don't know the outcome. But boy, howdy, did it make that moment that much more hilarious and historical. See, when I first saw that clip, my stupid ass did not put two and two together at first. I didn't think, oh... You know, there's a pretty high likelihood that there's going to be some folks fussing for the ball, and if it falls forward into the bullpen, there's no one else there aside from the players. I could tackle a big league player, probably, to get a baseball that's worth $2 million. That's actually pretty sound logic if you know you're not going to get reprimanded and kicked out, maybe even suspended from the ballpark, my stupid ass thought he was trying to make, like, the catch of the century. Like, he's falling down, the ball's falling in, and he, I thought he was trying to intercept the baseball, like a reverse Mario Super Slugger's jump. You know what I'm talking about, where they jump up seven feet in the air, 70 yes. feet in the air to, to get the see, ball? See, the issue is this is not a video game, my man. This is also not angels in the outfield, where they're not going to gracefully make you fall down <laughs> to the ground without any injury or ailment. No, that's not the case at all. But very good reference, I will give you that. I that's what I try I, I tried to visualize this like huh how can I compare this to something but either way go watch the clip if you haven't because without that context of oh he's trying to land in the bullpen for if the ball lands there too it just looks like oh the ball is 20 feet to my left guess I'll just yeet this fence and jump into the pen I wonder what the players reaction were reactions were I would have paid to see like I don't know if that was the Rangers pen or the Yankees pen but I would have paid good money to see what those pitchers, what their faces looked like when they looked over. Saw some random pedestrian in the, in the bullpen, just like, uh, hello. I was honest to God trying to draw a comparison to that. If he fell into the bullpen, got the ball, but is like, how am I going to get back up? So he, like, leaves the bullpen, like, walks out the door, and then has to sprint across the field and maybe, like, hop one of the short fences on, like, on the left field foul line. Essentially, you're trying to say the guy should end up being like one of those feral cats that winds up in the outfield and then just like <laughs> leapfrogs onto a wall and climbs over the wall and somehow makes a miraculous escape. Yeah, you remember the Bronx cat from last year that evaded like the entire Yankees staff five <laughs> I times? I remember that. We made an end of the year graphic on that. That was fun to make. Oh, the, for like the like the best animal moment. I remember it was down to that and the New York rat moment from the Mets. <laughs> yeah. That was great, actually. <laughs> oh my god, we, we got off on some crazy tangent about this, but that dude, still, I don't even know whether to, whether or not to say good job. Well, good plan, maybe bad execution? Bad luck? What, what would you call that? Bad luck, bad execution, and I really hope he took some Tylenol before uh, jumping. <laughs> really hope that $2 million hospital bill doesn't come into, doesn't come into play, because you know what really could have fixed that? A historic home run ball. Yes. If only he caught that. Sucks to be that guy. Uh, do we want to talk about Garrett Cole at all and his strikeout record? Because honestly, <laughs> it kind of got overshadowed because it happened on the exact same day. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I, I guess I'm talking about it, so I might as well keep going. <laughs> uh, it happened on the exact same day that Judge made history, which I think was kind of like the first time, 
or no, it was some graphic out there or somebody pointed out, which was very smart of them, that the Yankees have been a franchise for over a hundred years and these records have stood the test of time and they were both broken on the exact same day and both were extremely monumentous and not easy to break at all. For as much as I clowned Garrett Cole for being like, eh, this is kind of the overshadowed record. I don't know if he really deserved it. I mean, you got to give credit where credit's due. Like, striking out 257 batters in a season, yeah, is mightily impressive. Somehow he only got 2.4 war out of that season, but that's probably a different (laughs) discussion for a different day. It probably also has to do with the fact that he gave up 33 home runs. So that might might be a catalyst in that. Yeah, I'm willing to bet. Uh, I took a look just because I was curious at Ron Guidry's page, which, Mm -hmm. if you didn't know... The record he broke was Ron Kidry's record of 248. Uh, Ron Kidry that year, Jesus Christ, that was his Cy Young season? Boy, howdy. 174 ERA, 9 shutouts, 208 ERA plus, 219 FIP, a whip of 0.946, a 6.1 hits per 9. Yeah, okay, this is, that's a nice little dichotomy between, uh, Gidry and Cole right there, because Gidry was... I'm not calling Cole a bad pitcher, don't get me wrong. But in the subject of this season, you know, Cole, it looks like, is trying to get strikeouts every single time he goes up there. You know, he's not really trying to induce weak contact, he's trying to only miss bats. It also leads to more mistakes, hence 33 really big and long mistakes. So, (laughs) Gidry, on the other hand, just seems to be a pitcher who, you know, is looking to get out any, any means necessary, and strikeouts that year were just in surplus. That doesn't overshadow the achievement. Obviously, congratulations to Cole. To topple a record like Ryan Guidry, the Louisiana Lightning, That does, that's not easy. So, congrats to both Judge and Cole. Hopefully, they can carry their achievements far in October, but we'll get to that when we get to the ALDS discussion. But however, folks, there's another team that's going to have a lot of introspection to do this October. But the one I'm talking about in particular is the Kansas City Royals. And why do I say that? Because, ladies and gentlemen, Kansas City's front office did a thing. A good thing. Mike Matheny is gone. Oh man, Kansas City Royal fans rejoice. You're pitching, oh god, your bullpen arms, they're not going to be ridiculously overworked. Your starters, (laughs) not named Brady Singer, might actually play up to their potential. Oh my god, it'll be great next year. Oh, and by the way, I say that because pitching coach Cal Eldred was also told to hit the road. Didn't we talk about the Royals recently too? Didn't we have... Wasn't there a president of ops fired recently? Yep, Dayton Moore was uh, relieved of his duties. J.J. Piccolo kind of fulfilled those duties or took on some other role. And that may have been his decision to ultimately let Matheny and Eldred go. I think the pitching coach surely need to go after this horrendous season of pitching Mm -hmm. out in Kansas City. It was not pretty, folks. And Mike Matheny, I mean, he's just not a great manager to begin with, so I don't even know how he got the job in the first place. But uh, regardless, he got thrown out the window as well. Like, this was two moves that I think we could have seen coming. If anything, I think maybe Matheny could have gotten the leash a little bit further. Nice voice crack. A little bit further. (laughs) <laughs> but at the same time, I don't even know if he how long he's been with Kansas City, to be fair. I'm actually going to look on this baseball reference right now. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's been with, here for three seasons, ever since the COVID year. Yeah, he needed to go. Yeah, get the hell out yeah. of here. Yeah, he's been here a <laughs> lot longer than I thought he has been. Jesus. 
Yeah, after destroying the Cardinals' chances of getting anywhere in the postseason by ridiculously overworking his bullpen arms, Kansas City, a team with a bunch of young pitchers, went, hmm, who's a good manager, who's a good guiding hand to uh, help steer this rebuild, this young and upcoming team, in the right direction? Ah, yeah, this guy that was just canned from St. Louis for absolutely butchering any postseason hopes that they had. God damn, Mike Matheny, A, is just not a good manager. B, should have been fired last year. I, his Hold on, what is his record with the Royals? Because they lost 97, they lost 97 games this year. Mm-hmm. His, it, it, oh, it's not a good record, I can tell you. <laughs> oh my god, he, 165 and 219. That's a 430 winning percentage. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's oh. 2022 Nationals bad. Oh, and also, can I point something out really quick? Please do. I went on their baseball reference page just to just out of curiosity, you know, oh, how how many runs have they allowed? How many runs did, uh, did they score? Because I know their run differential was horrible this year. Mm-hmm. They allowed 810 runs. Excuse me? Did you say 810? Eight? I said 810. For oh, reference, dear. I'm going to pull up another bad team just for... Yeah, the Nationals only allowed... Actually, the Nationals allowed 40 more. Wow, that's actually... Ouch. (laughs) Whoops! By the way, for anybody keeping track at home, the Royals also only managed to score 640 wins. Uh, Up, 640 wins. Jesus, 640 (laughs) runs this season. My apologies. Wow, how are they not in the postseason if they won 600 games? Damn, man. I mean, listen, they were technically in first for three maybe four days if you include off days so (laughs) they had it at some point in time and they threw it all away for 94 losses sorry 97 losses oh by the way just to make that run differential look worse the a's only allowed 770 runs like the dead last in baseball oakland a's yeah, that's that's or, uh, sorry, not dead last in baseball. I think the Nats were actually worse. Yeah. Oh my god, the Nats lost 107 games. But no, bottom of the American League, Oakland Athletics. <laughs> they allowed fewer runs than the Royals. That's how bad their pitching was this year. Yeah, they also uh lost 30 blowout games according to baseball reference, meaning they lost at least 30 games where they lost by at least 5 runs or more this entire season. Or Dayton more? Uh-huh. <laughs> Haha, uh-huh, that that wasn't that good. I'm sorry. I gotta acknowledge <laughs> that. That was not one of your uh, brightest jokes there, Tony. It wasn't, but I needed to make it. <laughs> also, please go on. The, te- the team's fifth highest war getter was Andrew Benintendi when he spent the back half of the year Jesus. with the Yankees. My paisan, Vinny Pasquatino, finished eighth. You wanna know something really sad? Please do. Brady Singer was the team's top war getter at 4.5. That at least makes sense. He had a great season. Mm -hmm. Their second best war getter was Michael A. Taylor with (laughs) 3.2. How much of that was defense? I need to know. I'm looking this up. He had 2.4 defensive war this season. 2.4 defensive war. 1.2 offensive war. It totaled out to 3.2, so obviously there's some give and take. Let's just take 2.4 into account, okay? How many more Royals would he beat in terms of war this season with 2.4 war alone? Wow, he would have still he would have at least finished sixth because number seven is a huge drop off from from Zach Granke's 2.5. The seventh highest war getter was Dylan Coleman at 1.6. So Michael A. Taylor's defense alone was worth more than 
more than half of the Royals players overall <laughs> seasons, which is saying something terrible about the fran- their franchise. Three of their everyday hitters were above league average by the end of the year. I'm not counting Andrew Benintendi because he wasn't on the team at the end of the year. It doesn't matter what the players' stats were. The main story again here, Matheny and Eldred are fired, and now J.J. Piccolo and John Sherman are going to be tasked with finding a new pitching coach and manager. Now, this managerial cycle is supposed to be a a huge carousel, so stay tuned to the Diamond Duo podcast and quick hits (laughs) on social media to find out more about that as news breaks. As long as they don't get Larry Rothschild as their pitching coach as well, then I think they are in decent shape. All right, Tom, I think that's just about all the stories we missed from the past, you know, half week or so. But let's get to the meat and potatoes of this episode. Wild Card Weekend just ended. Oh, yeah. We have four series that happened, one that wrapped up tonight, one that made Tom sad, one that made both of us happy, and one that, uh, and I guess you can say that one made us happy. The Rays lost. So, <laughs> and you know, why don't we start with that one? Just because, well, I already spoiled that the Rays lost. So, uh... <laughs> Tom, this is the series that we both got right on our predictions, which, by the way, both our predictions shredded to sh** already. I got one right. I got two right. My National League is My American (laughs) League, I got completely intact, so I'm okay there. I would just like to point that out for the record. And I'd like to point out for the record, I only picked the Blue Jays to differentiate myself from Tom for content standards. All you want. You had a week to make that decision, and you stood by it. I mean, I don't want... I even said during the episode, I hope I was wrong, and you know what? I was wrong, and I'm happy about it, but honestly, we're probably going to save that series till the end, because trust me, I don't know about you, Tom, I think we're going to have the most to say about uh, what happened up in Toronto, what happened up in the Great White North. Let's talk about this Cleveland-Tampa series. So, it only went two games... Cleveland wiped the floor with Tampa Bay. Although I feel like that's kind of being a little too nice to Cleveland because for the most part they didn't even play that great either. Final scores were two to one and one to nothing. So uh, yeah. not exactly uh, displaying the October offensive fireworks for the denizens of Cleveland. I don't even know where to start because let's 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 start with game one. We got a pair of Shanes on the mound, McClanahan and Bieber. They both pitched great. Jose Siri hits a home run for the Rays. Jose Ramirez turns around and hits a home run for the Guardians. And then the pitchers just kind of shut it down. Like, Tom, the story of game one, at least, you could say, was 100% the backbone of it was the pitching. So, yeah, it was a battle of the pitchers here, Tony. Uh, You're absolutely right. Uh, McClanahan went seven strong innings and only gave up the two runs, which normally would be very good, but he has to realize he's on the Tampa Bay Rays, and they don't really do great at scoring runs to begin with. Uh, also had <laughs> also had five strikeouts to his name, not bad, and then Garrett Clevenger came in for an inning, gave up a hit, struck out two, no real damage. Uh, all great display of pitching on the Rays, also a great display of pitching by the Cleveland Guardians, Shane Bieber, who got formally shelled in New York or playing against New York, which might happen again in the very near future, which would put a good old smile on your on my face. He went a little bit longer than McClanahan. He lasted seven and two-thirds innings, only gave up three hits, one walk, one earned run, and eight strikeouts. Very good display on his part. In the manual class, I looked damn near unhittable. Only one strikeout and one in the third inning. But boy, howdy, if you haven't seen a manual class A pitch before, 
yeah, go look at some of his stuff on ba- on uh, Baseball Ninja, on Pitching Ninja, and just see the movement on his pitches. It is absolutely incredible what he's able to do uh, putting spin on a baseball. Not much offense, again, mentioned from Tampa. They only had three hits throughout the entire game. I would like to point out, I'm pretty sure every single run in this series came from a home run. And there's not many runs to really deal with, so I know this no, should you're be right. fact. Also notable in this game was that it only lasted 2 hours and 17 minutes, which is one of the <laughs> shortest postseason games, probably let alone shortest MLB games in recent history, but definitely one of the shortest games in postseason history. But those are pretty much the uh, big notes about Game 1. Uh, Tony, your input. Holy shit, neither of these teams can hit. <laughs> The collective batting averages for these teams at the beginning, excuse me, at the conclusion of game one, Tampa's slash line went 103-133-207. Oh, and by the way, Jose Siri is doing a lot of heavy lifting with a slugging percentage of 1,333, you know, hitting a home run. Uh, And Cleveland, their slash line goes 258-258-235. So really interesting, no one on Cleveland drew a walk. Yikes. Uh, Granted, (laughs) Jesus Christ, Tampa Bay, nobody on their starting lineup except for Jose Siri had a positive win probability added. Literally everybody in their lineup contributed to a loss in some way. This is, (laughs) this is kind of sad. I mean, I'm loving it because the Rays, these overconfident little bastards thinking they're better than the Yankees after two years of relevancy. That's game one. Game two, however. It was the complete opposite in terms of length, but not the final <laughs> result. Oh my god. Hey, so Tom, how long was the first game? Two hours and change, give or take, you know, like Rob Manfred's wet dream, pretty much? Yeah, 217. More ideal of what we might be seeing in the near future, i.e. Mm-hmm. next season. Yeah, pitch clocks, shift limitations. Actually, that might make games go longer. And nevertheless, very, you know, Look of how the game might be going forward in terms of length. <laughs> I actually didn't know it was this long. I'm actually in shock right I'm, now. I'm, I'm looking at the same number you're looking at, Tony. <laughs> oh, dear. So, I'll preface this by saying this was a 15-inning game. Not 14, not 13. Oh, and remember, no bullshit ghost runner in the postseason. And a four-hour, 57-minute game time. Like, I say this as someone who's defended three-hour games by saying, you know, it's long, but it's not, like, that long. If you're into the game, it flies by. This, this was one of the slowest, most boring sports matches I've ever seen in my life. Notice how I said sports, not baseball. Because this was a game that honestly seemed like it looked at this past Thursday Night Football uh, I was, what was going it? The Broncos? To it was 12 to 9. That was the final, and it went to overtime. <laughs> this is the exact same thing, except it went to many more overtimes, technically. This literally went to quintuple overtime without anybody scoring until Oscar Gonzalez let loose the SpongeBob themes of war and took Corey Kluber absolutely yard to end the game. I'm skipping right to the last play because when I tell you folks that nothing happened beforehand, literally nothing happened. Six hits from the Rays, five from the Guardians, including Gonzalez's walk-off homer. 
The only thing I'll throw in there as like a highlight beforehand was Tristan McKenzie and Tyler Glass now did pitch fantastic. The bullpens were, uh, I mean, they were good. They didn't allow runs, but I feel like, Tom, I said this to you too in the moment. I feel like that's more shitty hitting than it is good pitching. Because the number of times, because I watched this game, Friday I couldn't watch because I was at work, Saturday, I sat down, I had a free Saturday for the first time in what seems like forever, and I wanted to watch the whole damn thing, thinking, oh, oh it was mistake. like a two- <laughs> I, No, honestly, I said, oh, it's like a two-hour <laughs> game, hopefully about the same length. No, I'm sitting there doing stuff on my computer for five hours. I, at one point, I literally just zoned out. But nevertheless, the number of times I watched a guy like Garrick Clevenger or Clevenger on the Rays or Adenel De Los Santos on the Guardians absolutely groove a pitch down the middle, just a cookie for the opposition. And they would either pull it for a foul ball, pop it up for a foul ball, or hit a weak dribbler to the third baseman and pray to God that they could run it out. <laughs> I, that seemed to be Tampa's strategy, by the way, because the number of pitches, I saw a stat, the number of pitches in game one, excuse me, at-bats in game one that ended in four pitches or fewer after the first 17 was like 12. They were stupid aggressive in this game, and they really should have. Cleveland's got good pitchers. Make them work. Let them see a few pitches. It's, it's ridiculous. So there were 39 strikeouts total in this game. <laughs> I would like oh, to yeah, point that's that out. record, right? I don't know if that's a record, but it probably is. Um... <laughs> <laughs> they had less hits combined than total innings played in a game, which is something you can't say probably a whole lot about. Oh my god, in you're baseball. Right. 11 hits, 15 <laughs> innings, and one f***ing run to come out of this game in Cleveland. And also, I'd like to point out, I was terribly upset with the Ghost Runner this year. This would have been the one time I would have championed for that. <laughs> Dear God, at least like after 12 innings, put up the Ghost Runner. I mean, I, I mean, at that rate, you're just putting this game out of its mercy. Like a five-hour game? Like, come on, son. Like, I just find it ironic that he had one of the shortest games ever, and then it turned into one of the most boring and long games, probably in most recent memory. I don't know about ever. Happened literally the day after. It's just a perfect balancing like, the world is now balanced because we had this happen. Either way, Cleveland, clean sweep. They're going to be going in to face the Yankees in the ALDS. So now where do we go from here? Do we want to talk about my misery, Toronto, mm -hmm. a whole country's misery, or <laughs> New York sports misery? Let's talk about New York sports misery because I'm going to have to deal with this at work for like the next I don't know how long. Uh, probably if the Yankees make a clo uh, very quick exit as well. Oh dear God, uh, work is going to become very, very interesting to say the least. Dude. It's going to become very entertaining. I will say that. So Mets Padres. Oh boy, the Mets. 101 wins this season. The one season where they can't have a game 163 because Manfred said no, no, no. The Mets just need one more game, win one game against that series where they got swept by the Cubs. And they would have had the two seed. And they wouldn't have lost in the wild card round to what <laughs> me and Tony considered the no-depth San Diego Padres. I don't even think we put much thought into this prediction. We just thought, series is over. Two games. Let's get out of here. Nope. <laughs> the Padres whooped the Mets' ass. 
this series. Specifically, whooped the ass of Max Scherzer in Game 1, who got booed off the mound in New York. Granted, I still think Buck made the right call, because DeGrom has not been pitching as good as Scherzer had in the previous month. But still, getting booed, then DeGrom goes out and shuts down the Mets pretty much in Game 2, and then Game 3 happened tonight, Tony. Oh, boy. I didn't want to jump over Games 1 and 2 that quickly, but Game 3 is where some really interesting tactics, let's say, uh, happened on behalf of Buck Showalter, which unfortunately I think is going to be chalked up to a Met-is-going-to-Met situation, which I don't think is fair, but at the same time you won 101 games and you couldn't get past the wildcard round. So I guess all is fair in that regard. Yeah, I... (laughs) I love the fact, just circling back super duper quick, how quickly we dismissed this series last week. Like, we dismissed this almost as quickly as the prophecy, which, <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, no, but we, we don't have to. This <laughs> this was the series where it seemed the most open shut. Like, a- am I wrong in that? Like, no, no disrespect to the, eh, f- it, disrespect to the Padres. They just <laughs> seemed like the worst team on paper in every single sense. Like, Cleveland could compete with Tampa, Toronto could compete with Seattle, etc., etc. Seattle, uh, Seattle, San Diego should have been dust on the road to the Mets. Like, to me, this looked like a clear case of the Mets overestimating their, excuse me, underestimating their opponent. And low-key, it kind of does go back to Buck. Just his willingness to say, oh, we're going to pitch DeGrom in the DS, like, when we get there. Which, I get that. A, I like pitching Max first, I'm with you, because Max has been better. And B, starting a series off with the Dodgers with Jacob DeGrom is better than doing that with Chris Bassett. But that just reeks of you're looking past your opponent right now. You, I don't care if the Padres only won 88 games. The Braves barely won. I don't even think they won 90 games last year and they won the World Series. You got to take this every game like it's an elimination game, man. Puck's never been a good postseason manager and it's kind of showed this series and it almost showed itself in game three like you were saying. So ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to paint you a picture. You are six innings into a do or die game three wild card game where if you lose you become the laughing stock of baseball twitter and everyone who roots for the other team in your state the other team that you guys hate so you're facing a pitcher a pro a Cy Young favorite at the beginning of the year who kind of you know regressed a little bit he's probably not going to win it now but still great pitcher just carving you up one hit through six innings I don't even think he walked anyone up to that point what do you do do you Try to rile up your guys in the dugout? Do you maybe send in a pinch hitter or two to replace some guys who look totally overmatched at the plate? Totally. Or do I you would... go to the... <laughs> what? I was going to say, totally. Let's throw Terrence Gore into the lineup and try and shake <laughs> some things up. <laughs> Could you imagine he pulls like Jeff McNeil? Like, all right, Terrence, <laughs> you're hitting now. Let's go. <laughs> that'll, 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 uh, that'll, that'll scare him. <laughs> that'll rattle him. <laughs> yeah, they won't see it coming. But turns out Buck went with secret option number three, convinced the umpires that the starting pitcher who's killing you is cheating, and then have the umpires, I'm sorry, I'm still laughing about this, have the umpires massage Joe Musgrove's ears because they think they look shinier than normal, trying to find sticky stuff. Tom, I'll let you spearhead this in a minute, but... 
I'm sorry, I'm not over the fact that this season we've had an umpire fondling James Karinchak's hair. Like, like he's shampooing it. And we have umpires now doing, like, the magic trick where they pull a quarter out of Jill Musgrove's ear, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Go watch the clip if you have it. It's honestly really funny. They do the typical, like, I'll oh, check the glove, check the hat. I think they run through his hair. And then Buck, like, tells them, like, check his ears. <laughs> and he, like, cups his ear. It's so weird. Okay, so one, there's probably going to be a John Boy breakdown before this episode releases, so go check that out preemptively, I'm just going to say. Number two, I will say, Joe Musgrove's ears were as shiny that I think it would be comparable to Rudolph leading the reindeer into the Christmas Eve foggy (laughs) night. Like, it was that shiny and noticeable. So I don't necessarily mind him checking it, especially because his velo and spin rate went up in this game too compared to his season average or something like that so you know what it's a theory but more on that theory in a second i want to read a tweet from andrew mccutcheon been making around it's got about nineteen thousand likes at the time of this recording and i think he's on to a good theory it says here we go i guarantee musgrove has red hot on his ears pitchers use it as mechanism to stay locked in during games it burns like crazy and idk why some guys think it helps them but in no way is it sticky Buck is smart, though, could just be trying to throw him off. And I think that's more along the lines of that's probably what he was trying to do. But at the same time, if your team only has one hit, I don't think it's really going to throw the pitcher off that much since he's already in the zone and dominating you so much that that's really going to make a big difference. And the Padres also made a spectacle of it, which... I mean, God bless him. Go for it. You're going to lose in the NLDS most likely anyway. So enjoy the moment now. This will just be chalked up in Mets history as probably the ear fondling game or something like that. Um, I I don't know. Yeah, ear gate. There you go. I like that better. That's got a zing (laughs) to it. Also, I'm finding a quote from Gary Cohen on SNY. For those who don't know, he's the play-by-play guy for the Mets on TV. And this is a very good quote. That kind of sticks out like a sore thumb on Game 3. And this is of that incident. It smacked of desperation, and it was fairly embarrassing, I thought, for Buck to do that in that spot. It was not necessary. As it turned out, Musgrove was not cheating. If you're going to pull a stunt like that, you better be right. And Buck wasn't right. And I really don't want to be the guy who drags Buck through the ringer. Really, right here, these are my own words now, by the way. Because he's treated everybody with respect this season like there's a lot of admiration for him in new york but i think he just lost a few pegs of respect amongst people in new york the fan base and probably all of baseball for pulling this now again i don't necessarily blame him because of the various reasons that go into it but it's kind of weird that you're kind of doing it in a spot where your team's down for nothing and you can't really answer and they didn't answer they only had one hit throughout the rest of the Throughout the whole game. They didn't even get a hit after that. They got mowed down one, two, three. You can't do that. And I'm not necessarily going to blame Buck for his players just not showing up at all offensively in games one and three. But dear God, that does not look good. And that's just going to be the final stain on this Mets season. Yeah, no, if you want to do a check like that, because I saw the picture, his ear did look, you know, a little shiny, but... Number one, obviously, the umps checked and found nothing, so it's not pine tar, it's not spider tack. If you want to do that, number one, like like Cohen said, you gotta be right. You need to know that he's cheating. 
And let's be honest, if Musgrove gets ejected from that game, number one, his legacy's tarnished. Like, all the credibility he built up this season just kind of comes crashing down. Especially after that quote about the Astros, which, hey, by the way, I don't think we ever talked about this on the show. I have respect for Joe Musgrove now, more than I already had, because he said he wants to win a World Series that feels legitimate. If you didn't know, he was a relief pitcher for the Astros in 2017. Granted, he sucked, but at the same time, I gotta respect him for saying that. Just, Astros hate is always welcome in this house. Either way, you gotta do that earlier. Do it in the fourth. Do it in the fifth. Don't do it in the sixth. After your guys have already been thoroughly overmatched, where it's crystal clear you're going to lose this game if your guys don't turn it around, it doesn't matter if the pitcher's using spider tack, pine tar, sweat, sunscreen, whatever the f*** you want to throw at him, if you can't muster more than a weird opposite base hit, excuse me, opposite field hit by Pete Alonso, that's more on just the pitcher. Plus, Robert Suarez and Josh Hader came into the 8th and ninth inning respectively, and carved through the Mets, just one, two, three, one, two, three, game over, season over, Lowell Mets is back, and it's probably, I don't want to say it's more embarrassing than ever, because the Mets have had really embarrassing losses, but honestly, I'm not a Mets fan, but I don't know, I feel like I'd be more hurt by this than I would be in, say, 2016, you know, when Connor Gillespie murdered their hopes and dreams in the ninth inning. Like, this series just seemed like, it wasn't like a stab to the heart. This was a series of fine cuts just up and down the body while the team just bleeds out. This was depressing for Mets fans. Yeah, and to make it worse, this is going to be a situation that people continue to talk about. Even if they just got one hit and absolutely shelled, that would be a talking point. But now, because there was some stupid incident involved, it's just going to be a talking point where it's just going to be on repeat, on repeat, on repeat throughout the rest of the time Mm. and unfortunately just something that happens to the Mets of all teams more often than not for whatever stupid reason so I kind of feel bad for Mets fans in that regard but um next time show up in the postseason much like the San Diego Padres did specifically the bottom half of their lineup such as (laughs) Trent Grisham who's one of the worst hitters kind of rivaling Joey Gallo for one of the worst hitters of the year absolutely schooling the Mets Austin Nola doing things that I didn't think Austin Nola would be capable of doing. And there's also somebody else at the bottom half of that lineup that also did something, did some things really good, who I, who eludes me. Or maybe it's just those two that I'm thinking of. Haseon Kim. Haseon Kim, thank you. Although he's had actually a fairly good season all around with a decent war, so I'll give him that. But yeah, great stuff by them. I'm going to actually try and pull up their postseason numbers this year of all them respectfully because uh they truly do deserve some admiration for as much as we're kind of going through the Mets defeat this was very much a Padres well-executed series minus game two when they got shut down by Jacob deGrom but I think we underestimated their starting pitching outside of Blake Snell Tony because you Darvish and Joe Musgrove are the real deal and I don't think we gave them enough respect especially Joe Musgrove man I saw a stat I want to pull it up but my phone is dead said joe musgrove take this with a grain of salt i'm going based off memory here joe musgrove is the first pitcher in postseason history to go seven plus innings while allowing fewer than two hits and one or fewer walks damn son. so I-, I know there's been no hitters in the postseason obviously but we're talking you know the walks play into effect here it might have been a national league or a padres record actually I'm more willing to believe it was a Padres record, but goddamn, Joe Musgrove 
just pitched the game of his life in a do-or-die game three, which granted his team's reward is being trounced by Big Brother and the Dodgers again, but hey, the fact that they knocked off probably the best Mets team in... I don't even know how long. This is I'm willing to bet this is among the best Mets teams of our lifetimes. Like, the only other team that could even come close is, you know, 06 or 07, maybe. Yeah, in terms of, like, a roster standpoint, I mean, the World Series team back in 2015, that was something special, too. But even then, their roster, like, they got lucky, and they had Yoana Cespedes halfway through the season that carried them. So, I mean, from a roster standpoint, this is certainly their most in-depth roster in a very, very long time. So, props to Musgrove for shutting them down, including the the league batting champion and Jeff McNeil, one of the RBI kings, and Pete Alonzo. I, this, just impressive stuff. And circling back to the bottom half of that lineup, those three in particular, oh my god, Austin Nola with a huge two-out single, two-run single to kick off the scoring against Chris Bassett. Trent Grisham just deserves a f- statue outside of Petco Park at this point. <laughs> Just Homer off DeGrom, Homer off Scherzer, big, big insurance runoff of Bassett, insane catch in the outfield that led to him crashing into the wall. He was okay, thankfully, but my god, this kid did everything in this series, and he's gotta be, he's gonna end up on a bracket one day of, you know, famous Mets moments, like, oh, Trent Grisham in the 2022 wildcard series. Like, how do you let a guy who hit 184 on the year do that? to your two Cy Young winners, which by the way, this is a stat I know I remember. He is the last, or he's the most recent player to hit back-to-back, excuse me, homers in back-to-back games off of two Cy Young winners since, guess who? Daniel Murphy in 2015, (laughs) when he did it off of, I think it was uh, Kershaw and Granke, if memory serves. And I know Bonds did it. Bonds and I think John Olerud, actually. Really underrated John Olerud, but nevertheless... Who sticks out in that list? The the home run king, a guy who went on some <laughs> stupid, crazy postseason run, hitting like 50 million home runs, one of the most underrated first basemen of all time, and Trent Grisham. Well, I'll tell you what, the guy who sticks out is the guy who just earned himself some brownie points in the hearts of Padres fans after completely gutting. Was it them that he dropped the... No, that was with the Brewers. So let me rephrase that. I was going to bring that up. With his legacy, let's say... In terms of kind of letting that ball go by him in the wild card game in 2019 when the Nationals eventually went on to win the World Series and that ground ball in the outfield got by him and allowed some runs to score in a rally to start. And now he does this. So uh, he just changed his postseason fortunes around. By the way, Grisham's numbers in the postseason, before you continue on, Tony, a 500 batting average against the Mets with a 667 OBP, a slugging of 1250, OPS of 1917. And, uh, <laughs> two home runs, five runs, three RBIs, two walks, didn't even strike out once, went one for four, one for two, and two for two in all of those games. Austin Nola, 444 average, 500 OBP, slugging 556, OBS is only 1056, but he still performed adequately. One for four, one for two, two for three, two RBIs, one run, one walk, Three strikeouts through the entire series, but some great at-bats. Hassan Kim, only a 250 batting average, but he saw a 500 OBP, and he actually only collected his two hits of the series in Game 1, where he went 2 for 3. Then he went 0 for 4 with nothing really notable in Game 2. Game 3, though, 0 for 1 at the plate, three walks he drew, 
responsible for three runs, four in the series, stole a base tonight, and only struck out once tonight. So that's the bottom three of the lineup for San Diego. Especially in game three, that first scoring chance they got, that was all with two outs. Like Josh Bell hit a single, then Will Myers was useless, as he always is, and grounds out for the second out. Then just boom, Hassan Kim walk. Boom, Trent Grisham walk. Bases are loaded. Boom, Austin Nola bases, cl- well not bases clearing single, sorry, two run single. I This is a really clutch Padres team, and I don't think they're going to do much against the Dodgers, but they displayed greatness against the Mets. And you mentioned the thing about Trent Grisham. I'm not going to go into his whole story. You mentioned a good chunk of it with the Brewers. But shout out to him. I just really like him as a player, and I really like his story. You know, getting a chance to kind of start over after being traded to the Padres. And as controversial as some of the Padres players are, (laughs) Tatis, maybe Machado still, I don't know. But Grisham's just an easy guy to root for. Great story, seems like a really humble guy. Might not be the greatest of hitter, but is still an electric defender, and is a goddamn postseason warrior, apparently. So, good for Grisham, good for the Padres. You've allotted us the chance to laugh at the Mets and their fans again. That is a bounty that is impossible to measure. (laughs) So that'll do it for Mets-Padres. Hey, Tom, you want to know something? No. Too bad. I get to intro this segment, so there's no avoiding it. Let's talk Phillies Cardinals. No. Let's talk Phillies Cardinals. No. All right, I'll talk Phillies Cardinals, and you'll have to listen to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Uh. man. They're going to beat the Dodgers, huh, buddy? They're going to beat them real good in the NLDS. What'd you you say? They're going to win, like... Wait, hang on. Time out, time out. It's not just that. They're not going to just beat the Phillies and the Dodgers and the Astros. They're going to beat the reigning champions and the Braves. They're going to beat all of them in a row with a lineup as cold as the Arctic Circle. That's listen, your team. Listen, are you going to make fun of postseason predictions? Because I will bring up your preseason pick of the Blue Jays winning the World Series. And they got trounced out of the postseason. Your World Series prediction was Cardinals Blue Jays. That's worse than mine. Yeah, I at least had the still. Dodgers in there. Yeah, but still... I don't really have a comeback. Still, for what that. you have I, no I don't legs. really have a comeback for that. Just you have no pull. legs to stand just, on. You're like the guy at the Rangers game. Just shut the f- up and pull the band aid out. I want to get this over with. <laughs> All right, game one. Let's deep dive this. The Cardinals can't hit to save their f- lives. Number one. God, you remember how I said, Tom, that the Phillies' really only hot hitter towards the end of the year was Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, for the most part, in the beginning of the game, that's what it looked like. Hell, Kyle Schwarber didn't even get a hit. A bunch of the Phillies didn't even get a hit, at least on the top of their order. Schwarber, Hoskins, Castellanos, and Harper did not get a hit. So, yeah, things started off great. Zach Wheeler pitched great for the Phillies, but Jose Quintana matched him just beat for beat. But then Ali Marmel happened and said, nah, you pitched, what, five scoreless innings or six scoreless innings, however many it was? Five and a third, wow. I think he only had, like, 70-something pitches, too. He wasn't even that deep into the game. He had 75 pitches. 75. That's... This wasn't a guy who had a pitch limit. Why didn't you just let him go? The Phillies didn't have him figured out all game. But you know what? It's okay. Jordan Hicks and Giovanni Gallegos, they did their job. And then Ollie Marmel happened. Mm. And he brings in Ryan Helsley in the eighth inning, which, you know, fine, fair. You want to just stem the bleeding, you know, with the teeth of the Phillies order coming up. But then Ali Marmel happened, and he kept him in for the ninth inning, even when he was erratic as sh**, and clearly showing signs of fatigue. Like, this is not a guy, 
Like this is this is giving me flashes of Joe Madden pitching Aroldis Chapman for two innings in the 2016 World Series. Helsley's a fire like he's a firework of a pitcher. He he's effective when he throws 102. He's shit when he throws 97. Why would you keep him in until he throws 97? Like I want to rant about the Cardinals offense because trust me, outside of Juan Yepes and maybe Tommy Edmond, this Cardinals offense was terrible in game 1. Just horrible. But if Ali Marmol finishes, if Ali Marmol works the bullpen like a normal human being, the Cardinals probably walk out with a win. Because going into the ninth inning, they were up two to nothing. If you just pull Hillsley and put in, I don't know, Andre Palat, or, or well, you already used Gallegos, but Genesis Cabrera, somebody new. You probably close them out and you go to game two up one nothing. But no, Ali has to use bullpen tactics that make Dave Roberts look like Whitey Herzog. So, rip Ollie Marmel. I've been ranting about this enough. Are you are, are you ready to tackle this, or are you not mentally prepared yet? I Listen, man, I'm not going to be mentally prepared to talk about my prophecy kind of going, bang, right out the window. Because that's exactly what Ollie Marmel said to me. He said, f*** you, Tom. Here's your prophecy. Now, go get it. He threw it out the window and into the Atlantic Ocean, and I it's too cold this year to go swimming in the ocean, so I couldn't go retrieve it in time. Why? Why would you let Ryan Helsley go that long? This is a rookie mistake by Ali Marmel that costs people jobs and makes them look like utter chodes. You gotta pull the trigger very, very quickly in the postseason. When things go wrong, you better go to your backup plan. For Christ's sake, they didn't even warm up a pitcher probably until they started scoring runs in the ninth inning. I'm pretty sure that's factual, too. Like, they didn't even warm anybody up. They really relied on Helsley. I guess they wanted to save their pitching for game two. Well, who gives a shit? Your guy is not throwing well. You gotta go get him. Like, stall for as long as possible. Like, if you had to make him go another batter, then fine. I wouldn't agree with it, but you gotta get him out of there. He waited too long, and he didn't pull the trigger. And honestly, the Phillies scored six runs in that ninth inning. They didn't win the game. The Cardinals lost it. Ali Marmol lost the game because the runs they did score in that ninth inning, I'm pretty sure it wasn't on, like, hard contact either. Like, Nolan Arenado booted a ball. That ended up costing them a run. Like, they just drove stuff in that would normally be, like, singles or ground outs. And they blew it. They just blew it. Once I knew this inning, I saw it unfold, I knew the series was going to be over for the Cardinals. Because how do they rebound? Unless they scored like five runs in the first three innings of the next game, then I would say, okay, then now you got a shot. But you had no offense to begin with. Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt did not show up at all in this series. And you guys can't play defense, and your bullpen management was as good as Fino. You mentioned Joe Madden. We could probably go through a laundry list of managers that suck in the postseason when it comes to bullpen management, but it wasn't pretty. That was the series right there. They lost it, and they got swept at home because the next game wasn't pretty either. They actually got more hits than the Phillies did, but they still lost 2-0 as the final score. Albert Pujols got two hits in his final game ever, which is tough to, a tough pill to swallow. He and Yadi's last game is forever. Yadi got a hit. Juan Yepes ended up grabbing a hit. Lars Newtbar got a hit. Of course, Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado did diddly dick. 
It just is what it is. Nolan, Nolan Aaron. Aaron Nola threw one hell of a game. I got to commend the Phillies pitching because I knew their 1-2 would be great. I figured the rest of it would kind of be other dog shit, but that didn't turn out to be the case. So, uh, good for them. Also, I find it weird that your strategy, Ollie, in Game 2 of Miles Mikolas to Jordan Montgomery, I don't know what the hell kind of fever dream that was, going from <laughs> one to the other. I mean, it didn't really matter because Jordan Montgomery actually issued three walks, but he didn't issue any runs. Yeah, I don't know about that one, but uh, that that's another weird strategy I gotta point the finger at and be like, what the hell is even going through your mind? See, this series, to me, this is probably the most winnable series for the team that actually lost. There was no way on earth Tampa was gonna beat Cleveland, just the way they played. There's no way the Mets, in how their pitching was, was gonna topple San Diego. This, to me, on paper... This should have been very winnable for the Cardinals. But, like you said, Goldschmidt and Arenado, they carried season-ending slumps into the postseason. They don't really have the hitting depth to back them up. A stupidly hot Juan Yepes for no reason is not going to save your season. Especially when you have to go up against Zach Wheeler and Arenola. Which, by the way, I mentioned this to you beforehand. I don't think I mentioned it on the show last week. Because we both kind of just rode the Phillies off. The Phillies are a perfect team. They are built perfectly for a best of three, because you could just throw out Wheeler and Nola, which, granted, you could also say that about the Mets with Scherzer and DeGrom, but heh <laughs> heh. <laughs> that didn't work at all. That didn't work. But you have Wheeler and Nola, and then you have a bullpen, which is very unphilly-like in that it's actually decent at this time of year. <laughs> Jose Alvarado gave up the home run to Yepes, but other than that, he was solid in game two. Sir Anthony Dominguez and Zach Eflin closed it out. They actually let Zach Eflin grab the save, which I actually found kind of funny. I'm guessing because they pitched Dave Robertson in the previous game, so they wanted to save him for a potential DS date with the Braves. And that's exactly what they are going to get. They're going to face their division rival Braves as they try to advance to the NLCS for the first time since... This is going to test my trivia knowledge right here. I think it's going to be 2009, or did they make it in 2010? Say that again. When did the Phillies go to the NLCS last? Was it 09 or did they make it in 2010? 2010. Was it 10? Okay. Because I know, obviously, they didn't make it in 2011, and this is the first postseason they've been to since 2011, so... I will yeah, we'll been the first time in, in well over 10 years. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they lost 4-2 to the Giants in 2010, the NLCS. Gotcha. I don't know why I thought it was the Cardinals there. Which... <laughs> hey, speaking of... Speaking of the, the Cardinals and the Phillies, Tom, wouldn't you say this is almost... Like, as as much as you are a prophecy man of the St. Louis Cardinals, wouldn't you say this is kind of, you can call it retribution for the Phillies for 2011? Eh, I mean, I guess you can really go, if you want to stretch it that far, you can. I don't know if I'd really stretch it that far. I guess you the can Ryan, say it. The Ryan Howard curse? <laughs> yeah, the curse of Ryan Howard. Yeah, there you go. Maybe Ryan Howard put, like, a spell on Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt about not knowing how to hit, because that's what ryan howard couldn't do toward the end of his career God we mentioned damn. how bad they were they were 115 overall in the sweep paul goldschmidt and nolan arenado at the plate arenado was one for seven goldschmidt was 0 for eight lovely that by the way in game two bad. they combined for five strikeouts yeah please don't remind me <sighs> i would also like to point something out that i didn't actually know heading into the season or tony may have pointed it out 
and Hyde didn't actually notice. While you're looking for that, just some more salt in the wound. Sure. The Phillies hit a total of two extra base hits. Oh no, sorry, I lied. They hit one extra base hit in game one. A random double from Alec Bohm was their only extra base hit. That entire comeback in the ninth inning was fueled based on walks and bullshit singles that probably wouldn't have been singles if Tommy Edmond was shifted a little bit over to the right. Just thought that was funny. Game two, they had extra base hits, but that's neither here nor there. Exactly. So this is what I was going to say, and this will be my final thoughts on the Cardinals and the prophecy all year. Cardinals are, get ready for this, one and nine in their last 10 playoff games. Maybe that's something I should have considered earlier in the season when I was picking the Cardinals (laughs) to win the World Series. Uh, (laughs) But you know what? I'm happy I rode the prophecy all the way through the season. I'm ride or die. Like, if I'm going to go all in on that, I'm not going to back out like a chicken at the last minute. So I think it really goes to show as much as you can have a prophecy that can be fulfilled in the regular season and enact great things from March through September, October baseball is way too unpredictable to really flesh out. And you don't know what's going to happen. Even if you have a prophecy on your team, the playoffs, it wipes it away. The slate is clean. And clearly that's the case here. As the Cardinals get swept to the Philadelphia Phillies. Assholes. <laughs> Alright, I don't really have much else to add to that. We'll just let that be the end of the prophecy. I feel like it's appropriate you bury the hatchet there. Now, let's say you and I together, to close out this segment, bury the hopes and dreams of the nation of Canada. Oh, As we talk out one of the most pathetic, just outright embarrassing series I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And mind you, I've seen the Toronto Maple Leafs play in the playoffs. This is clear. (laughs) I don't know. My only guess is this must be an homage to their hockey-playing brethren, just a couple (laughs) miles away over in uh, the Rogers Arena. Because, or wait, no. Rogers Rogers Center. Center. Rogers Arena's basketball. Whoops. So... (laughs) Folks, the Toronto Blue Jays, who we're going to ignore the fact that I picked them over the Mariners just to fulfill my uh, preseason prediction. I even had them losing in the next round, so that's not an excuse. Either way, they marched into their home turf to greet the Mariners, and the Mariners immediately opened up with a three-run top of the first off of known bitch Alec Manoa. (laughs) And this is courtesy of a ribby knock by Eugenio Suarez and then a two-run shot by big dumper himself Cal Raleigh who Cal Raleigh very quickly is becoming a folk hero not just in Seattle but across the game of baseball and I am all for it I love me some Cal Raleigh little switch hitting catcher action but Tom this game played out to me like a eulogy for all of the Yankee fans who wanted the Yankees to sign Luis Castillo Because outside of Big Dumper and the empty chasm that was the Blue Jays' offense, they got shut out, by the way. No runs on seven hits. And you want to know why? That's because of Luis Castillo pitching seven and a third innings, no runs, five strikeouts, zero walks, and six hits only. That is ridiculous. Seawald, uh, Seawald, service, sorry, gives the ball to Andres Munoz to pitch the final one and two thirds. He does fantastic, striking out two and only allowing one hit, obviously without allowing any runners to scamper home. But do you remember about a week ago when I said that the Mariners pitching is going to be really, really scary for a really, really long time? I remember that. Yeah, that's not going to start next year or anything like that. That's going to start right now. 
Like, this is a team with the pitching depth to win championships. Yeah, it most certainly is. He had his two-seam fastball rocking over 100 miles an hour. That, of course, is Luis Castillo, not Alec Manoa, because I really don't give a shit about the Hamburglar anymore this season. <laughs> is that his nickname? You know, I think we mentioned it at one point, or I was making fun of him at one point and called him the Hamburglar. It's probably a uh, insensitive thing of me to say, but, uh, oh well. I don't care, he's a rival. I called him a known- I called him a known bitch, you're fine. Well, it's okay, he's a known bitch, that's a fact. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, Luis Castillo absolutely pumped that game one for the Seattle Mariners, and yeah, I do wish he was on the Yankees, because I was hoping he would wind up on the Yankees instead of Frankie Montas, who, by the way, did he even get included on the postseason roster? I didn't even think about that. Because I know one dumbass isn't on the roster. I didn't even... Is he healthy? Like, is he even healthy? Like... I don't... I know he was hurt at one point, so you know what? He might not... Wait, hang on. I got... Let me look this up, because... I, yeah, we got to be honest. I don't even know if the rosters are finalized yet, because Aaron Boone is still mulling over a decision, which I'll get to, because it might be the stupidest fucking decision to mull over in existence. It's like saying, huh, what should I do? Shoot myself in the foot or go get ice cream? I we'll get to that. that that's your tease that's your <laughs> teaser trailer right there folks we'll get to that when we get to that let's uh, go back to the Blue Jays and the Mariners because yeah you know this first game you know it, it was a nice little nice little intro to postseason baseball in Seattle for a whole new generation of Seattle fans mm-hmm. game two oh game yes two probably made a great number of people into Seattle fans for the way they carried themselves in this game. Yeah, can I, can I be the one who delivers the unfortunate bad news and reminiscent, make Blue Jays fans reminisce of how the score was at one point? That they absolutely blew it? Please do. Please do. Okay, I'm going to whisper this into the mic so that way I don't say it loud enough so maybe Blue Jays fans don't hear me at all. Maybe they'll tune me out. Are you ready? Here it is. You were up eight to one at one point in time. Eight to one entering the sixth <laughs> inning. And then you blew it. You were up eight to one entering the sixth inning. And you blew it. The final score ended up being ten to nine in favor of the Seattle Mariners. They scored four runs in the sixth inning, four more in the eighth, and the deciding run in the ninth inning. That sent all of America cheering, hooting, and hollering that their neighboring country does not see a postseason team any further into October. America's team, the Seattle Mariners, are going to the ALDS on that epic comeback of epic proportions. And that's not even enough to describe how epic this comeback was. It was historical, even, Tony. You you want to know how historical it was? Tomothy? Yes, please. Tomothy. It, it is the largest blown lead by a home team in postseason history. <laughs> Damn, son. That puts all other blown leads to shame. This is this is honestly a level of like the only other team I could ever imagine blowing a lead like this so spectacularly is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Maybe it's a Toronto thing. Maybe Canadians just maybe Canadian teams from Toronto just don't know how to handle the spotlight. I mean, we always knew that with the Leafs, but I guess the Blue Jays get to join them in that company now. Fantastic job, Canada. 
maybe stick to Calgary hockey or Edmonton hockey. They're actually both pretty good right now, but this is not a hockey podcast. Yes. Let's remember that movie that Vlad Guerrero Jr. was directing that this year was going to be the movie. (laughs) Last year was the trailer. It's a very short film and it's not a good short film. It is up for the Golden Razzie Award for worst motion picture of the year. And the winner is the Toronto Blue Jays, because they're the only team to make that reference at the beginning of the year. I could throw the New York Mets into there. I could throw other teams into there, but I'm honorably going to give the Golden Razzie to the Toronto Blue Jays. You might as well call them the Blue Jays, B-L-E-W, because of how badly they blew it. (laughs) That one's better than the one I made earlier. I forgot the one I made earlier. That was a lot better better than the one you made earlier. Still not great, but that was a lot better. I think it was Dayton. It was the Dayton Moore joke. That was it. Yeah, you didn't have to bring. I'll write that one down. Bad. (laughs) But either way, the Mariners like just shout out to the big players because spoiler alert: everybody not named Dylan Moore, pretty much, and Jared Kelnick. Wow, I mean, he only had one at bat, but pretty much everybody was a key player in this game. Like Carlos Santana went absolutely crazy in this game. I believe he actually hit two home runs in this series. Oh, no, sorry, that was one. He had a double. It it was not a home run. I remember it was close to a home run. I got a chance to watch the back half of this game. Ironically enough, just in time for the comeback. So, I remember Santana's double. It was just off the top of the wall. It set up runners at second and third. I can't remember if they capitalized there, but it definitely set them up. He hit a three-run home run to cut the lead, I think, down to 8-4. Something like that. 8-4, Big Dumper again coming through for the team, putting up a thousand slugging percentage on the day. God damn it. And the big hit coming from J.P. Crawford in the eighth inning to officially tie the game and put a nice big bow. It was a bases clearing double that pretty much put a big bow on this collapse and it caused the network to pan all over Roger Center so we can laugh at each and every Blue Jays fan whose rally cap was on. Unfortunately, though, the one thing that I do feel empathy for when it comes to the Blue Jays and their fans was the event that transpired right after J.P. Crawford hit that double. Because unfortunately, it's not a double like down the line, Edgar Martinez-esque. It was a little bloop, nothing blooper in between center field and shortstop. Then unfortunately saw the center fielder and shortstop in Springer and Bichette, respectively. It caused them to collide and Springer was down for a while. Like, I'm not sure what the diagnosis actually was. I don't know if a diagnosis was actually given, but he looked like he hit his head, and it looked like he hit his head hard. He did not get up for a bit. He needed help from the training staff to stand, and he was eventually carted off. Gave the fans a little rising action, just thanked them all, like, kind of inspired the team to, you know, rally, keep going without him. We're not going to talk about how the team just absolutely died after that, but just... In all seriousness, not clowning on the Jays for a second, we hope George Springer's okay. We hope that this injury's not serious. He can come back next year and be just as good, if not better, than he always is. So, that's the one real blemish that's gonna hopefully not hurt the Blue Jays long term. But, Tom, the one last thing I'll say about this rally, and then I'll throw it off to you. I mentioned Edgar Martinez earlier, who, I'm sure you know, hit easily the best, like, most famous hit in Seattle Mariners history. That double down the line, that sealed their ALDS win over the Yankees in their first postseason appearance ever. We're not going to talk about that too much as a salty Yankees fan, but still, most famous hit in Mariners history. I find it very ironic that Adam Frazier, he hit 
a very similar double, but in the to the opposite field. Edgar hit it down the line and left. Frazier slapped it down the line towards right. That chased home what would be the winning run over Toronto. And I think that's become easily one of the most famous hits in Seattle postseason history, just right then and there. Granted, it's not a lengthy history, but it's still. Adam Frazier just definitely etched his name into Seattle history with that hit. So, moral of the story, if you're an AL East team playing the Mariners in the first round, good luck. You're probably going to get embarrassed. As if the big dumper himself hadn't already had one of the most clutch and biggest hits in Seattle Mariners history (laughs) only a few days before it. Adam Frazier does it only a few days later. Not not saying that's more significant because going into the playoffs, and eh, eh, you know what, you be the judge of that. I'm not going to go into uh, those types of politics. I would like to point something out, though. I'm not sure if you're aware. I'm reading a tweet from the Seattle Mariners right now that I wanted to bring up. This is Ben. Ben put his shoe on his head at the T-Mobile Park watch party before the eighth inning. We got a few hits, and soon everybody had their shoes on their heads. You know what happened next. The rally shoe, as they're calling it, is officially being kept for the Mariners Hall of Fame baseball. Oh my god. There is a picture of this kid, Ben, having a his shoe square on his head. And it is amazing. I would just like to point that out. And there's other pictures like, of fans with shoes on their heads. Like the sole of the foot? Like like you're stepping on your own head? Yes. Oh, God, that, I feel like that's, I, I don't know why, like, cool rally shoe, but oh, God, that's gross. You walk on that shit. You're putting all the muck <laughs> he, from he, the he ground had, in your hair. He had a hat on, so it wasn't touching his hair. Oh, okay, then never mind. More power to you, Ben. <laughs> I just wanted to point out the rally shoe, because that is amazing. Uh, it is amazing. God, I could talk about the Blue Jays' collapse all night and the Mariners' postseason successes, but uh, unfortunately, they're probably probably going to get trounced in the next round unfortunately hopefully i'm using the wrong word and it's not trounced it's more like well loss how, how do i say a good way to lose in the next round to be fair they are 7 and 12 against houston this year so we'll see they did put up a good fight against the astros this season and tony i don't think you have anything else to say about the mariners so let's move on to the ds preview now we're going to blow through this for time purposes, but we're just going to give a little taste of what's to come this week. And of course, we'll be talking more in depth about it next week on the next edition of the Diamond Duo podcast. So Tony, where do we want to start? Do we want to start in the American League or do we want to start in the National League? I'll leave it up to you. You can even choose which matchup you want to start with. Let's go back to the American League because I want to start with Yankees Guardians because quite frankly... I think that's one of the easier matchups to, I don't want to say predict, and I really don't want to jinx the Yankees, but I also feel like I have the most to say about this one, so let's just get this one right and out of the way. Best of five, Yankees-Guardians. Yankees have had the Guardians number all year in the regular season. They've always had their number in the postseason, too. The Yankees just kill the AL Central in the postseason, rule of thumb. And this is actually one of two series that as of right now, we know who one of the starters is going to be. We know that Garrett Cole is going to be starting game one for the Yankees. Why it's not Nestor? I don't know. Cole in the playoffs scares the living bejesus out of me after last year. So, <laughs> oh, hopefully he could pitch like 2019. Otherwise, I'm just going to be really sad. But 
uh, enough of being sad. Yankees Guardians, my prediction's not going to change. This is the matchup I anticipated from last week. I still think the Yankees are going to take it home. It's just a matter of if the hitters will solve that labyrinth that is Cleveland's pitching. And I'm going to be honest, they're, they're probably so exhausted from that Tampa series. They'll have time to rest, but I still think the Yankees have the edge here. Yeah, I do as well. Now, I do believe Nestor's game two, Luis Severino is game three, and from there, we don't know what's going to happen. It could be a three-man rotation. It could be Boone is going to do a bullpen game. Maybe they'll call up Davey Garcia somehow, miraculously, and then throw in some, like, (laughs) pitcher in the second inning just to throw Cleveland off their guard, because that's a strategy that obviously worked for the Yankees. Jason Shreve? Jesus Christ, no. Uh... (laughs) Uh, ironically, I think he was a Cardinal this year. Lovely. That, that That's not really important, although now I kind of want to... No, scratch that. He no. was a Met this year. I am sorry. He did go to the Cardinals at one point, though, but that's not important. <laughs> Again, Yankees should have the series. The only thing, as Tony alluded to, that concerns me is Cleveland's pitching. They got to break that spell. Usually, I mean, they got to, to Shane Bieber very, very well when they faced him in the postseason not too long ago, a few years ago, I believe in 2020, when they faced off in that COVID year in the first round when Cleveland was the four, the Yankees were the five, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the Yankees should have their number, but they've got to be on high alert because their pitching is not as good as the Tampa Bay Rays pitching, so maybe the Guardians' bats will wake up a little bit more, especially in a place such as the short porch in Yankee Stadium with the shorter dimensions. But again, this should be the Yankees' series to lose. So that's where I will leave that. The one thing I will add about the Yankees, and then we'll go on to the next matchup. I heard a rumor that Aaron Boone was mulling over leaving one of Aaron Hicks or Oswald Peraza off the postseason roster. Let me, uh, you know, I think it's my turn to get up close. I'm going to get up real close to the mic, Aaron, Aaron Boone. So you can, you can hear me when I say this. If you keep Aaron Hicks on this goddamn postseason roster, and you do not put a top 100 prospect who has like a 350 on base percentage, his first big league home run, and plenty of potential, all the potential in the world. If you leave that off the postseason roster in favor of Aaron F- Hicks, I'm going to break something. I'm going to go to one of those rage rooms that you could that you have to pay an absorbent amount of money to go in, and I'm going to destroy it. Like, we already have one head case not on the roster that we'll talk about in a minute. But, but oh my god, Tom, I mean no exaggeration when I say fire him on the f- spot if he plays Hicks over Peraza. Like, playing IKF over Peraza is a given because he's already an inept manager in, in and of itself. This elevates him he would be one of the worst managers i've ever seen if he does not put peraza on the postseason roster that'd be ridiculous yeah i i don't that's my rant hi it's editor tony you know exactly why i'm here clearly i put way too much faith in the fact that aaron boone would actually make the right choice not, not even that i gave him too much credit in that he'd entertain the thought of making the right choice, because yeah, he left Peraza off the postseason roster, and I should have expected that. What I did not expect, and you heard it in this segment because I didn't even bring his name up, not only is Aaron Hicks in the postseason, but so is Marwin Gonzalez, someone who was held hitless 
for a month's worth of appearances because of, and I quote, playoff experience. Because in Brian Cashman's head, it is still 2017, and Aaron Hicks and Marwin Gonzalez are still viable options. I I guess because you need someone to back up Rizzo at first base, given LeMahieu is still hurt. But even then, just shift Oswaldo over to first and tell Stanton he's got to ramp up his activities in the outfield. God, trust me, we'll go into this next week. I'm not angry at this point, I'm just disappointed. I knew it was going to happen too. At first I was angry, trust me, I was angry. But now I think I've, I've almost reached acceptance on the scale, uh, excuse me, stages of grief. But like I said, we'll go more into this next week because trust me, I've got a bone to pick with Aaron Hicks, but I've also got a bone to pick with IKF. That man, I kind of brushed him over in this segment because I knew he'd be on the playoff roster, but God, I've been giving that guy too much credit. And I didn't give him that much to begin with, but I'll stop rambling. Please enjoy the rest of the show. <laughs> I, I wouldn't get it either, because especially because Peraza actually did some good things with the Yankees in September as well. I'll actually pull up his numbers real quickly, just for the yeah. hell of it. When he's played, he's been great. The problem is he's not being played because Aaron Boone is a terrible manager. Exactly. In uh, 49 at-bats, 57 plate appearances, he's got 15 hits, three doubles, one home run, two stolen bases, a slash line of 306, batting average 404 OBP, slugging is only 429 OPS, uh, 832 OPS plus, though, 139. Very respectable for the young gun himself. So, that's the Yankee series. Now let's move on to the other American League series, which is the Astros and the Mariners. And I kind of alluded to this literally like five minutes ago. This is the Astros to lose. Now, the Mariners, again, have played the Astros closely. I believe their run differential this year is only off by about six or seven runs, if I'm not mistaken, that I just checked on baseball reference and don't remember the numbers for. But still, 7-12 and 12 this year, the Mariners are against the Astros. That's not bad. They do have their pitching. 7-12? and 12? They're 7-12 and 12 this year against the Astros. Oh, I thought you said 7-2 and two earlier. I don't know. I guess I just heard. Yeah, no. No, 7-12 and 12 against the Astros this year. Not bad. Very respectable. Although I do think it's the Astros series, and they, I do think it won't go quite Seattle's way, I have a feeling of. I don't know why. I just don't think it's going to work out very, very well for Seattle. See, I'm going to give Seattle a little credit here. I feel like they make it a series, especially with that pitching. That pitching keeps them in, I think, more than they have any right to be. But Seattle's still a very raw team, and they have the disprivilege of going up against probably the most weathered postseason team in the American League right now. Like, if there's one team you don't want to face in the postseason right now, it's the goddamn Houston Astros. So... Definitely a bit of tough luck for this franchise that just now got back to the playoffs. This is going to be the Astros series, but I do think the Mariners play well. This is going to be a series. It's not going to be just a one-sided throttling, let's say. I have confidence for the Mariners in the future, just maybe not here. Hey, Tom, speaking of one-sided throttlings, uh, Dodgers-Padres. Uh, yeah, Dodgers. That's it. <laughs> They're the big brothers. <laughs> no analysis. Like, I don't even want to look up. I, I'm curious as to, you know, what? I'm going to look up what their head to head is super quick, but I know it's stupid in favor of the Dodgers. They are the Padres father. They are the Padres Padre this year. Like, I mean, they're the Padres Padre every single year. Jesus. Let's race to see but, who can find it faster. Oh, wait, I got it. <laughs> oh, I've got oh, it. oh, dear God. It's not even close. What is it? 
So the Dodgers are 14 and 5 against the San Diego Padres this year. I would like to point out the Dodgers record is 111 and 51. Runs scored and runs against is damn near identical to their total record this year of 109 and 47. Runs scored versus runs against. I said it last week, I'll say it again. If this team doesn't win a World Series, it's a failed season. This is one of the best regular season teams literally ever. So if you lose to your little brother in the Padres, delete the goddamn franchise. That's the most that's even more embarrassing than losing to the Nationals. I will put that out there. If the Dodgers lose in the NLDS, it will probably be the worst like upset I've ever seen in baseball. Somehow that's that's all I'll say. Somehow this Dodgers team is 1-5 against Pittsburgh this season, yet they have 111 wins. <laughs> hey, it's like Houston against the A's. Weren't they swept by them at one point? Oh, Jesus. I really hope so. I, I don't incredible. remember, but I really hope so. I think they were. You know, just for my headcanon, they were. So, yeah. Eat that, Houston. Uh, but yeah, Dodgers win. We don't have to go too deep into this. Uh, last one we got is Braves-Phillies. You had to actually no. We both had to say this versus the Cardinals. So I'm curious where you go now. Are you actually going to throw the Braves a bone? Well, I mean, if I had to pick a backup pick to win out of the National League, I would actually go Braves. Uh, surprisingly, over the Dodgers. Maybe I'm just having this anti-Dodger relationship with them right now, or maybe I just really don't want to see the Dodgers win. Then again, I really don't want to see the Braves win either, so that leaves me the Phillies or Pod. Yeah, I don't really want any team out of the National League to win, to be fair. <laughs> uh, now that the Cardinals are gone, they, they're all dead to me. In terms of the series, I should probably look up their individual record against each other this year. Why the hell not? We're on that train anyway. Off the top of my head, I would say absolutely the Braves. They're the most... I'm going to find it first. I, I was going to say they're probably the most complete team in baseball in terms of how they've been playing over a long stretch of time right now, outside of the Dodgers, maybe. The Phillies are 8-11 and against the Braves this year. Only a three-run run differential separating them in terms of runs scored and against, 85-88. So they're actually very well evenly matched this year. So this the Phillies may, might be end up being that surprise team that I thought the Cardinals would be. And honestly, if they take that prophetic magic into the somehow into the World Series, honestly, God bless them. Then I could say that then I can start a whole thing that that prophecy magic rubbed off on the Phillies and they just worked <laughs> for the wrong team. So you know what? Ooh, maybe I oh, should root God. for the Phillies. <laughs> they, they eliminated the Cardinals, but uh, now it's like they have their ashes. They're carrying them around. Ooh. So, I know there's like a movie or something like, oh, you, you kill someone. Oh, then you get the curse. It's like the Phillies killed the Cardinals and now they possess the prophecy. <laughs> So, could you imagine? Because I, I hate to say it, but if there's any team that's considered, you know, the underdog in their series to actually win, I feel like the Phillies have the best shot. I don't know why. Something I, I do think the Braves are going to win. I'll just come out and say it. I think the Braves take this series realistically. But if there's any team to look for an upset from, I think it'd be Philly. Mainly just because Cleveland can't beat New York, Seattle's still way too young, and the Padres, I think, literally have a chance of discovering El Dorado than beating the Dodgers. Jesus. So, that already puts them at a bit of a head start, but honestly, I think they match up alright against the Braves. The Braves have better everything, better pitching, better hitting, better bullpen, but the Phillies, just, they know them better. They just toppled the NL Central champs. They can take the fight to the Braves, and they've done it recently, I think. So... I'm I'm still putting my money on the Braves, 
But if there's a team to look out for, I'd say the Phillies. Yeah, I can honestly agree with that. So yeah, that's the NL and ALDS previews that we got again. Not too much in depth. We'll be going more in depth into that next week. Alrighty. Now, this has been a very long episode already, at least in terms of our recording. I don't know what the hell it'll be edited down up to this point. But we save the best segment of all for last. And no, we're not going to make fun of the prophecy anymore. We're just going to make fun of the sure? I really, really hope not. Because if you do somehow <laughs> turn this into a prophecy discussion, then shame on you, Tony. Because, oh boy, do we have a doozy to close out this episode? Cue the intro. I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart, I'm so very, very sorry. I pride myself and think of myself as a man of faith, as there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos it will be a home run, and so that'll make it a 4 nothing ball game. I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. Oh yeah, we've got a deep drive to left, alrighty. And this one hits close to home. Or rather, not our home, but Aroldis Chapman's home. Because I guess he'd rather be in Miami, I guess, where he lives or something like that. Or just rather be somewhere else than New York. And apparently the Yankees feel the exact same way about that, Tony. Because they don't want him on their postseason roster. In fact, (laughs) they left him off it. Why? Tell us why. Because Aroldis Chapman is a s*** bitch. I mean, he is, but... The principal reason, anyway, that he was not on the postseason roster, I did not see this coming, but apparently Brian Cashman did? Question mark? We'll get to that in a minute. But apparently, Aroldis Chapman thinks himself above petty things like team workouts and exercises before, I don't know, a goddamn playoff series? Nah, he's fine. He's fine. He'd rather party it up in Miami with whoever it is he affiliates with. Then actually, I don't know, do his job, play up to that massive contract that the Yankees gave him to do nothing with. So, Chapman skips practice, and it's officially announced earlier today that he's off the postseason roster. I was out with some friends, and I literally, like, we were outside in a park. I pinwheeled in excitement and went, let's go! (laughs) This was, I was in a group of Yankee fans. We were both, we were all very excited. (laughs) So, that's point number one. Point number two, when we found out he skipped practice, was, what an asshole. Like, what's going to be his excuse next? Because Cashman made sure to say that. He skipped practice without an excuse. He couldn't even throw the, oh, sorry, I got a tattoo, and it was infected, and this, that, the other thing. So, yeah, Chapman, who's now a repeat offender of the deep drive, I'd, I'd like to point that out, finds himself here by going completely AWOL and making Yankee fans oh so happy that he's not pitching for the Yankees in the postseason. Because, Tom, let me tell you something. If I had to watch him pitch against Houston <laughs> again, I don't, think my, I don't think my heart could have taken it. I think it actually would have given out and died. <laughs> so can we officially call him a Waldish Chapman now? God, can that was please do that. Okay, first of all, I do not take credit for that. That was Lindsay Adler who tweeted that out, and I thought it was absolutely hilarious. A wall as in... AWOL, A-W-O-L, this <laughs> Chapman. I'm spelling it out for you because it's a good one, Tony. Come on now. Why are you defending it like it's your joke? It's not even your joke. Yeah, I know. I, I just thought it was a good joke. Uh, <laughs> see, I, I love that he missed a mandatory workout. Like, he's like, you know what? This is mandatory, but f*** it. I'm better than the rest of the team. Like, 
I don't know what thought was running through his mind. Maybe he just doesn't want to be in New York anymore. Because New York is sick and tired of him. The Yankees have had it up to here probably with his bullshit already. They probably weren't happy with him for getting a tattoo midseason and it ended up being infected. I'm assuming it's midseason, by the way. And all the other bullshit they've had to deal with him in the past with, with that domestic violence thing that ended up going against him. And that being a whole thing where he was suspended. Like, he's been, he's probably walking on eggshells in New York, especially because of his performances this year. And the Yankees just had it up to here. They finally said, you know what? We're done. That's one less spot we can think of. Let's bring up somebody else who's probably more deserving of it. Or maybe we could get another extra batter. Maybe we'll go a different direction with a reliever. Who knows? But Roldis Chapman's days in New York, I think, are officially over. Because if somehow he returns to the Yankees next season, one, I'm going to be very, very upset. And two, I just don't see any sort of resolution to this internal conflict that they've got going on right now with Roldis Chapman. It cannot end well for either party if they decide to reunite and sing Kumbaya next season. Especially considering Cashman in the press conference where he discussed this, consistently questioned, he mentioned that he questioned throughout the season, Chapman's devotion to the team and whether or not he was actually putting it putting it all just out on the mound, which you could kind of tell just based on, well, his performance, that it didn't look like that. The fact that we have confirmation from Cap, uh, I almost said Capman, com- <laughs> combining the two names. The fact that we heard it now from Cashman himself pretty much confirms that Aroldis never had his head in the game. It, playing well for the Yankees was never a priority of him. And now they're not only leaving him off the postseason roster, they're actually trying to find ways to approach a disciplinary action for this. I believe they've already fined him. So, I about that. So, f- good. Your actions have consequences, even if you're a big league player. I, this has just been a miserable season for Aroldis Chapman. I think he's a free agent at the end of this season, or is that next season? I will confirm, but I believe his deal does expire after the season. Hence why I'm saying the reunitedness, uh, the reunitedness, that's a great word. Um, (laughs) The chances of him being reunited in New York next season, I think are pretty much slim to none at this rate. But let me confirm. Yeah, he signed only through 2022. He's a free agent next year. Or after this season, I Sweet. I mean, for what it's worth, you know, he did bring the city some good times in oh, the yeah. regular season. By God, not the postseason. <laughs> but still, the fact that it's going, he's going out on this note, it's such a sour taste. Such a terrible year. 4.46 ERA. I don't even think he got, a, he got nine saves. Clay Holmes probably doubled that and then some. ERA plus of 88 is actually the lowest of his career. It's the first time in his career that he's been below league average. I, th- this is the year that did roll this Chapman's time in New York up. I don't know if he gets signed again. I mean, he's still, he's, he's 34. Frankly, unless I really, really need a lefty reliever, you saw how he couldn't throw the fastball for a strike. Mm-hmm. Couldn't locate the breaking pitches anywhere than right over the middle of the plate. Unless I'm insanely desperate, I'm not looking at all this Chapman's way. He cannot get it done at the big league level anymore. I was about to say, at least the way he's used to throwing, he's completely gassed out. I don't think he's got it. If he becomes somehow like a splitter pitcher, because he's got good movement on the splitter when it's actually a strike. Oh, yeah. Like, if he can become more of an off-speed guy, then maybe... But then again, he's never really had control before, so how much control is he really going to have? Maybe if he, like, quickens his motion, like, 
takes more or tech takes less leg power out of it because he's not going to be whipping it by anybody anymore he's not going to be blowing people away at 103 105 or 106 even like anymore those heydays have come and gone even before he became a yankee although he was still throwing gas when he was a yankee so whatever but yeah he's he's not going to be blowing people away like i wouldn't necessarily jump at him if I were a rebuilding team or something like that, and he wanted a little bit of extra money, maybe I'll give him like a one-year, ten million kind of prove-it deal. Because then, if he's good, I can flip him for some prospects. That would be the only situation that I can see him. Maybe a team would want to go after him. Maybe a team like the Detroit Tigers, where they've got nothing to show for anyway. Maybe they'll sign him to a one-year deal, trade him for some prospects that they desperately need. I was thinking the Tigers. Right before you said that, if you didn't, I was straight up going to bring up like this Chapman's definitely the kind of asset they'd mismanage at the deadline or trade for prospects only for him to actually find his form again. Sorry to interrupt you. I just thought it was funny. (laughs) Oh, no, it's all good. Although I would have faith that Scott Harris can turn it around, at least for the Detroit Tigers and not make at least as trades going forward but i mean that that's all i've got to say about our oldest chapman he's a complete dumbass for the situation and i'm happy he's left off the roster because then i don't get to see his smiling smirk on his face when he gives up a home run inevitably to the houston astros yeah you know what it works out well for everybody chapman now has all the time in the world to party it up in miami and new york fans no longer need to be plagued with ashita every time he comes jogging out of the bullpen so it's a win-win for me I'm still a little worried about that bullpen long term in the playoffs, but frankly, Chapman being absent from it helps it tremendously. So, good on the Yankees for actually having some sense. And thank you, Chapman, for making that decision easier, because knowing Boone, he probably would have kept him on. It's just one less headache that we have to deal with as Yankees fans. Thank God. Alrighty. I think we've reached the end of episode 44, Tony. We've hit upon a lot, some stories such as Aaron Judge, Mike Matheny being fired. I'm literally running, reading off of our chat right now, Stephen Vogt. And then going through the wild card and then some DS previews. You got any final departing words that you would like to impart upon our listeners? Uh, do I? I don't know if I do. You know what? I do. Since Tom's prophecy is now dead, you guys are more than welcome to jump on the bandwagon of my prophecy of the Yankees somehow beating the Astros and going to the World Series that I totally didn't just make up last week for shits and giggles and blind optimism in my team. So yeah, go believe in my prophecy next, unless you want to root for the Phillies, like like Tom's prophecy possession theory or whatever it is you're running with now. I don't know. This is not a final <laughs> thought. This is a final spiel. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, we'll see if the Phillies end up somehow having that juju magic that the Cardinals, I thought, would have throughout this postseason. But first, they gotta get through the Braves and probably the Los Angeles Dodgers first. But that will do it for episode 44 of the Diamond Duo podcast. Thank you all for listening so much. We really, really do truly appreciate it. Go follow us on Twitter at Diamond Duo Pod, at Instagram, at Instagram, on Instagram, at the Diamond Duo Podcast for show updates, etc., and of course, more quick hits, which we will be posting weekly from here on out. Until next time, I'm Tom Bauer, he's Tony Puglisi, signing off. Enjoy October baseball, ladies and gentlemen.